For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three stakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome back to J. Persian Radio. I'm your host, Greg Young, and uh, we're kind of mixing up the format a little bit today because uh, there's been a lot of Caps news in the last uh, week or so. So uh, Adam and I are going to be joined by uh, Corey Snyder in a little bit. But um, for now, uh, we are going to talk Caps for the first half of the show. So, Adam, uh, holy crap, what a win last night, huh? Yeah, the Capitals won against the Islanders on... Tuesday? It was yesterday, Tuesday? Yes. Tuesday yes. night was really a gutsy performance, to say the least. I, I didn't hear um, anyone call it gutsy, so that's good. Oh, that's what everyone called it? Ground there. That, that's our buzzword of the day, I think. Gutsy, <laughs> which means, uh, I mean, it was kind of like uh, game six against Pittsburgh, I guess, in, in 18. Was it, you know, the... Uh, the where a little lower stakes, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you no, know, it was just kind of just like a grindy... I mean, the Caps had a ton of shots in the first period, don't get me wrong, but uh, it, it was probably their best game of the season all around. It was basically the first period against Pitt in the in the game they gave the 5-on-3 shootout, 5-on-3 uh, goal, except it was for the whole game. Yeah, no, they, they look great. They look great. I think um, they got a power play goal, which was nice. So then they, of course, had a five-minute major where they got absolutely nothing, but that's okay. Uh, so, I mean, this is like kind of a big deal, right? The Caps are, uh, I, I think we've all, and Adam, I'm kind of curious your thoughts. I think we've all, as Caps fans, I mean, I don't think any one of us has been 100% satisfied by uh, the way things have gone (laughs) this year so far. But that all being said, and despite a lot of injuries and a lot of players being out, the Caps are still tops in the East. 
They have a point in every single one of their seven games, even if they didn't deserve them and all of them. So I don't know, like Adam, kind of, kind of, where are you at on this team, and kind of, kind of general thoughts on it? Uh, I don't think they're as good as their record reflects. Um, you know, they they played Buffalo four times, right? So, um, and Buffalo is certainly a bottom dweller, but you know they've still gotten points in every single one of their games, and there's something to be said for that. Um, I'm hoping that they still have kind of another another layer of hockey to, to give us, um, that they've got some more switches to flip. Um, you know, I, I still kind of think they're a bubble team uh, in, in my mind. I, I think they've got a, a great shot of making the playoffs given how they play or you know, kind of the points that they've racked up so far. Yes. But, you know, they've still got a lot of games left against kind of better opponents. That is fair. That is fair. And I think any caveat would say that uh, it's still only seven games, which is uh, not the biggest sample size, although we can, I think, slowly start to, to, to ease on that on that kind of caveat a little bit. But it's still important to have. And uh, I think I think, Adam, something you said is important and then I'm going to kind of build on it a different way. So I agree with you that if you accept that the Caps are a bubble team, the fact that they've banked all of these points right now would necessarily mean that your that your expectations are going to be a little bit uh even if your expectations aren't super high that the Washington Capitals still have banked a lot of points and that's going to help even if you expect a level of performance going forward that's that of a bubble team so that's really valuable the other thing I would say and it's something that I am going to ask Corey about uh in kind of the second half of this but I I I think it's also worth noting that there aren't many teams in the NHL that have been super impressive so far, except for maybe Montreal. Like there's, I, I know like the Flyers aren't thrilled with the way they're playing. The Penguins fans aren't thrilled. Boston fans aren't thrilled. So I think it's, it is worth taking a step back and saying, I don't think any one of these teams right now is really is at full strength. Uh, yeah. I mean, it. Uh, I don't really know who to be impressed by. I mean, I guess Tampa's looked okay. I mean, Vegas seems like they look kind of how we thought they'd look. Yeah. I mean, Colorado did put up seven goals last night and played like Colorado would. But even then, they've lost a couple of games, maybe. Yeah. They should have lost. So. I, I, I guess the biggest thing is, I mean, Washington is in great shape now to make the playoffs just by nature of their start. You know, they're more than 10% of the way through the season. Um, and and they they've gotten points in every game. So but, what more could you want? Yeah. <laughs> well, the only more thing you'd want is probably like how they got there, right? Yes, I mean, we talked that's about fair. process versus results. Um, the Islander game was, you know, definitely their probably best all around game, especially given all the adversity with, um, just so many people being out, you know, and Backstrom and Eller leaving during the game as well. Um, but you know, Greg, it, it, it's it's easy for me to sit here in ho-hum and be like, oh, well, they could be doing this and that better. But, you know, uh, oh, oh, but I guess that's what that's why we're talking about it. Cause it's, it's, uh, <laughs> what else are we going to say, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I, it would be really good to see kind of more efforts like last night. Um, you know, just but you'd like to see a bit more offensive upside, too. Let's be honest. I think that's I think that's fair. Um, I guess I'm, I, I am kind of curious. I mean, now we've had seven games of Peter Laviolette lineup decisions, um, and uh, I think it's obviously you have to take things with a grain of salt because the Caps are without. 
four of their most important players. But kind of kind of has anything stuck out to you about the team under Laviolette so far? Uh, I think it kind of just is Laviolette is if, if you were thinking about Peter Laviolette and hoping he was going to be kind of a progressive or, um, you know, just just a, an out there kind of guy, uh, you're, you're going to be disappointed. I mean, he, he is certainly an establishment kind of by the book coach. I mean, um, he I, I don't really know what else to say about him. I mean, he loves Chara. He, he does. He's, <laughs> he's all about him. Um, you know, we saw McMichael only get into the lineup one of these two games where, you know, there, there really was no better time to put him in. And you could have even given him special teams time on the power play. I mean, there there was certainly a chance there to give him more. And, and in the game he played, I don't even know if he hit 10 minutes. So yeah. it's it kind of, um, you know, I think I think people can be happy that Laviolette's getting results and he's trying to get kind of a, this, a team identity back built up. But it certainly is going to be more of an old school mentality. Um, and I think it kind of reminds you of Nashville a little bit with how interested he is in the defense activating and pushing the pace. And, of course, we've seen that, um, you know, just, just numerous clips of Capitals defensemen kind of going all the way down and, and, and battling below the opposition's goal line um, and, and really being aggressive with the puck as well. Yeah. So, you know, I think one of the things that's interesting is I think if you had to pick an area of the Caps roster that was the strongest, I, I and I think you as well, identify defensive depth as something that is an area where the Caps are decent. You know, they have a lot of NHL caliber defensemen in the sense that they have a lot of guys who would go on the third pair and wouldn't, you know, it could definitely play solid minutes. And so I kind of agree with you that it's curious that, I guess not curious because I think we know why he's doing it, but maybe just a touch frustrating that Char has been on the ice all these all these seven games. Um, I, you know, and, and you wonder what the lineup's decisions are going to be for the uh, for the next game against the Islanders because I, I mean, uh, Chara had like an atrocious turnover yesterday, and I don't think he was particularly impressive really all night. So we'll we'll kind of see what we're what's kind of going on there. Um, and uh, I guess kind of. Aside from Chara, anyone else stand out to you, kind of positive or negative, over the first seven games so far? Um, well, I've actually, I've kind of liked Sprong when he's been in the lineup. I think he's... Got a pretty good shot, eh? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's just, he's quick, you know? I, yeah. I, he, he's got a kind of an element of skill that I don't necessarily feel like the Caps have had in the kind of bottom six, generally, because, I mean, that's where he'd slot uh, when everyone's healthy. You know, since Burkowski and Connolly were here, um, you know, Eller's a great two-way player, and he was obviously here during 2018 as well. But he's not. Uh, Eller's definitely like a two-way type player, um, and I and I think Spron's maybe going to bring some more production. So I, I've been happy with what I've seen from him. Um, Vancheck looks. I mean, he's def, I, I don't, uh, his rebound control is not good in my opinion at all, but he has been doing. Certainly making a lot of saves, um, as he did in that most recent game against Buffalo. But I don't know, Greg, who's like really standing out to you? I mean, I'm not no one's really like you know, blowing blowing my face away. Yeah, I mean, I I'll s I think Justin Schultz has been good. I'll say that. Like I think he's uh he's fast and I think he fits with what Laviolette's looking to do in terms of defensive activating. I think mm -hmm. all of us are gonna have that goal he scored against the Islanders with 26 seconds left kind of in the forefront of our brain there. But we've seen him, I think, 
that's emblematic of, I think, a lot of what he's brought in terms of just being kind of active and being a perfect fit with Laviolette's system. So that's one positive. I, I, I just, I can't help but think Zidane Ochara might be cooked, though. Like, this might be it for him. He just, I mean, I think you can say, okay, like the boneheaded decision in terms of passing it right to Barzell, you know, aside, it's just, he can't move anymore, man. Like he, and it's, it's starting to, I think, get to the point where playing him every night is going to be untenable. But I mean, apparently Peter Laviolette disagrees with me. And so it is what it is. Um, And uh, so, yeah, I guess um, only, only other thing, Adam, that we have to kind of go over is, uh, both Nicholas Backstrom and Lars Eller left the game with injuries. So if any if any one of them is out for any extended period of time, kind of how is that going to impact the Caps, you think? I mean, I don't even know who the Caps would have left to play. <laughs> Daniel Carr. Uh, yeah. you, okay, let me ask. Did you know who Daniel Carr was before he was in the lineup yesterday? No. I had no, I had no idea. Like, even, like, with these, like, you know, Scarbosa or whatever, like, or Sprague, I, like, I had at least heard of them. Like, you know, I had never heard of Daniel Carr before. So, yeah. like, I, that was strange. It was super strange. I mean, but I guess he had a assist, so so good on him. I mean, you know. The, it, like the Nathan Walker assist from uh, Game 6 to kind of tie that back a little exactly. bit. Yeah. I mean, so, but if Eller and Backstrom are out, right? I mean, you got to put them with Mike and you got to put them at center, right? I mean, and what what else would you do? <laughs> well, I mean, that's what I do. I mean, but I, I don't know, man. I just got this vibe that Lavi let's just not dig in the thought of putting a young kid in the lineup. That's just yeah. my, I, I, I don't know. It's just the vibe I'm getting. And it might be kind of a Barry Trotz holdover effect where I'm just kind of, and, you know, Rob Rob Parker made a pretty good point about this yesterday on Twitter, that it might be that McMichael doesn't match up well, necessarily. Or actually, Rob might have been in the conversation. He might not have made the point. Uh, might not match up well with the It's just not his – it might not be his style. Um, but when you have a player that you drafted in the first round and he's a guy that, that you think is going to be a, you know, a Vrana-like piece, maybe not a cornerstone, but certainly – a primary supporting cast member moving forward. For sure a top six I mean, player, you would think. That's not a guy that you're ever going to sit because of who you're playing in a game. Yeah. And I don't understand why there seems to be this belief that, like, like you don't put these guys in. When, when you know, Backstrom first ended the league, I don't really remember. I mean, I know he, there were games where he wasn't playing in the top six. I don't remember a night where they were sitting him. You know, yeah. but but it's funny. You know, you think about Burkowski, you think about Vrana, both of those guys did get sat uh, a, a good bit. So uh, I don't know. Maybe because of where the Capitals are in terms of a contending team, you see this a lot more. And um, unfortunately, like, I don't know enough about how other teams are effectively kind of developing their product, their prospects that are in cir- similar circumstances. But I know I would like to see a guy get more minutes from trying to make him an important part of my franchise. Yeah. All right. Well, that is something we could definitely ask Corey on the other side of this. So uh, with that, we're going to take a quick break. And uh, on the other side, we're going to, we're going to be joined by Corey and uh, Adam and I are going to fire away some questions. So stay tuned. Welcome back to Japers Rink Radio. Uh, still here with Adam, but Adam, we have a, a special guest. Uh, I'd love like everyone to uh, welcome uh, Corey Snyder onto the podcast. Corey, how are you doing? 
I'm doing well. It's been a really long time since I've been on here. Yeah, we were saying that it might have been the uh, Talk the Red podcast that you were on the last time. So, uh, which uh, which I I I don't even know if I was really active on Twitter at that point. So there you go. Uh, it's a ways away. Um, so Corey, um, the uh, before we uh, started recording, some news just broke that uh, Jim Rutherford, the longtime GM, not longtime, I guess GM for the last few years of the Pittsburgh Penguins, has uh, has stepped down. So. I guess I'm kind of curious. He was a good GM and also was a strange GM at the same time. So kind of what's, what's your take on, on the, the tenure of uh, Jim Rutherford? Well, there was like a two year period where he was kind of just striking gold on any like signings or trades that he made. Like I remember when he first got there, he made that weird, that weird James Neal for Patrick Hornquist trade that trade that ended up working out. And they were not good the next year. And the following year, he gets Phil Kessel and turns Brandon Sutter into Nick Benino. And they win two cups. And then after that, he goes and trades a first for Ryan Reeves for some reason. And they just have kind of been... They've been like just Crosby, Malkin, Latang, and just a hodgepodge of middle <laughs> six forwards since then. And they keep making the playoffs, but they just there just seems to be a cap on how far they can go. You know what I mean? Yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, I mean, the most I can say is that, like, at least he won. But I don't know what exactly has been going on there the last four. I think it's been three or four years now for all these weird, confusing moves have just been keep, ha- keep happening. Because <laughs> he'll he's the kind of GM that keeps making a good move with a bat. And he'll make a really bad trade or something like the good Branson deal. And then a few months later, he'll, he finds another GM to bail him out of it. Like he is able to ship him off to Anaheim for basically nothing and yeah yeah kind of a strange tenure it's exactly how he left carolina like he left on his own terms and the team was a bit of a the team was a lot the team carolina was way more of a mess than the one in pittsburgh but still very it's a very strange tenure as a gm but i mean at least he got he had two stars and he won two cups with them so i don't know good for him at the end of the day yeah all right adam adam you go next well, he's just such an active, he was just such an active GM, but Corey, I mean, no one's really watched more hockey than you. I mean, you probably watch, and you don't just watch it to enjoy it, you watch it to dissect it, and, you know, you've done that this for years now. I mean, when you and I first talked, it was, God, six or seven years ago, and you put out a post on your we- on kind of your website where people can go, and you kind of sum up what you've seen, and, and you compare it to kind of what Ryan Stimson had observed in his kind of seminal works a few years ago, excuse me, a few years ago. And um, it, it reminded me of kind of like when I, when I was looking at offense, again, this is like five or six years ago, there was, we were looking at kind of possession for possession's sake. And, and if teams really benefit from just holding the puck in the offensive zone, if they're not getting shot attempts. And I, I was wondering what you kind of have seen about that. I mean, when teams are trying to create offense, how important is it that they start trying to get that puck in towards the net? Yeah, it depends on the situation, really. Because if you're just trying to melt the clock out, and like if you have like a 3-2 lead or something, and you're just trying to get the puck deep and just keep it in the corner and have it stay there, like there's not really any benefit, any benefit in getting a shot on goal. But like if you're coming back, like if you're trailing or if it's like a tie game or something, like... Yeah, I feel like there is more of a benefit to, like, maximizing what you're doing offensively. 
And the thing that I was kind of trying to break down with the posts that I wrote on my Substack was uh, trying to like break down how offense happens as a chain because a lot of, like we, the big thing that Ryan discovered, well, the, the big thing that Ryan pointed out like in his initial studies was that point shots are really bad for for scoring goals and creating offense and passes from behind the net and passes that cross that cross the slot are how most goals are generated. But what I was looking at was like how many shots from the point are like intended to score and how many are meant to generate rebounds or tips or deflections because like that's that's how a lot of goals are scored now just because of how teams defend. They take away the like they take away the plays that teams are going to try to make. Like they take away the middle of the ice and like breaking, getting a shot from the point is one way to break down the, down the defense. And what I want to do is look at how effective that is. Mm-hmm. And like, there were some, like there were some benefits to it, but at the end of the day, it just seemed like it was going through like three different layers and kind of throwing like, cause like if you're just, if you're trying to shoot for a rebound, it's not always a guarantee you're going to get the rebound. It might just be an easy save and a face off. Mm-hmm. So like really it was kind of just trying to, it's like making your job harder than it needs to be and just kind of taking the creativity out of the game. That's just my opinion, though. <laughs> what are kind of like what teams were the most interesting for you to watch? What, who was creating dynamic offense all the time? Uh, well, in recent years, uh, Washington was actually one of the better teams up until last year. Like, especially in Barry Trotz's final season, they were a team that kind of got beat up, beat up in Corsi and expected goals. But they were generating a lot of passes that, like, that gener- they generate a lot of passes from behind the net and passes from the middle of the ice, and especially passes that cross the uh, slot line, which are really tough for a goalie to stop. So that kind of made them survive. Like, it made them survive just their underwhelming uh, underlying numbers a bit because they kind of outscored their problems. And really, for about three or four years, even when like even when they were a good like uh, possession team, they were still generating a ton of uh, those high danger passing plays. Um, and last year, a team that's kind of uh, been on both ends of this is the Philadelphia Flyers. Like the Flyers under Dave Haxtell for about three years, they were a they were a team that shot from the points a ton, and they were not scoring well. They Drew had a couple of really bad seasons there. And uh, as time has gone on, they've been way better at, like, creating offense. But they've been better about kind of breaking down defenses once they have the puck in the offensive zone for a sustained time. Like, the defensemen pinch down more and look for a pass instead of just firing everything on net. And they were actually one of the better teams in the league last year, which uh, was a big reason why they had such a good regular season. Yeah. So, Corey, I kind of have a question kind of building on that. So I know that you've really been tracking this passing for a while now and i'm i'm kind of curious you've seen it kind of tracked these over years and seen the impact of coaching changes versus like just kind of different personnel so i guess i'm kind of curious how how big of an impact does coaching have and how kind of radically would those numbers change when there was a new head coach with implementing their system versus just kind of having different personnel yeah, uh, it varies a little bit because, like, I look at the Rangers, like, in past years, like, they were not a, 
the Rangers weren't a very good team for a couple of years and generating these passing plays, and then they have Artemi Panarin all the te- on their team, and all of a sudden they're one of the best teams in the league at generating high danger passes. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. And uh, but uh, sometimes there's an effect. Like I think one of the I think one of like the bigger success stories with this is sort of the Minnesota Wild from like 2016 to 2018, I want to say, when Bruce Boudreaux was there, because mm-hmm. they were they were a team that basically never shot from the point and they generate a lot from behind the net, and all of a sudden Eric Stahl is scoring 35, 36 goals again. Mikel Granlund's having a breakout season. Charlie Coyle is having a breakout season. Niederreiter had like. 30, I think he had like 29 goals or something there. He did. So, yeah. yeah. But that's also a case like those are all very good players like entering their primes of like 24, 25 years old. So I, I think that's just kind of like both things coming together at the same time because like Boudreaux is obviously a very good coach offensively. And then you have a bunch of these guys who are very good players all entering the prime of their careers with the exception of Eric Stahl, who's been a good player forever. So like, I think it goes both ways. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of curious. You've watched a lot of hockey, and Adam and I uh, have been kind of talking a little bit about how we haven't think the Caps have looked particularly good, even though there's been, uh, you know, the results have actually been weirdly there for the Caps. I mean, you, you've watched a lot of different teams. How noticeable is the abbreviated camp and lack of preseason games kind of NHL-wide? The first week looked like a a glorified preseason to me. (laughs) Like, some of these games were just an absolute slog. Very sloppy. Teams couldn't really put any passes together. They were kind of just like, I don't know, a lot of teams were very, like, tentative with how they were attacking. Games were very slow-paced. And it was, the games were a bit of a, like, drag to sit through. Like, the... Like teams just did not look sharp at all. Like a uh, like I I follow the Carolina Hurricanes pretty closely. They only played three games, but like in all three of those games, they didn't look very. You could tell they played maybe one scrimmage of hockey before getting out there, just because they couldn't put. <laughs> really, just like the passing is just so off. But the last week or so, it's gotten a little better. Like uh, I was watching the uh, I was working on a Winnipeg Jets game today, and they're starting to kind of. They're starting to put things together a little bit from the from the looks of things. Like it's starting to look more like I don't know, like a normal regular season game, <laughs> for better or worse. Well, for Winnipeg, that might that might actually be worse given them last year and how how poor uh, defensively yeah. and at times offensively they were. But uh, you transitioned me perfectly to my to my Winnipeg question, which is uh, you wrote recently about Patrick Laine and kind of what you saw as maybe Winnipeg's mistakes or not in terms of how they utilized him. So I guess kind of detail a little bit about what you found and uh, kind of how do you think uh, line a is going to be used and how should he be used in uh, Columbus? Yeah, it was more so looking at it from a goal scoring perspective, because this is a guy who was touted as having like the best shot to come in the league since Ovechkin and probably the best goal scorer to come in the league since Ovechkin. And his first couple of years he had, like he scored 80 goals, I think total. <laughs> but uh, what I was looking at was just how that power play that they ran with Line A, Wiener, uh, Wheeler, and Bufflin, how that kind of just like sort of fell apart the past year after they lost Dustin Bufflin, and uh, they had like like they replaced Wheeler, they they replaced Bufflin with Neil Pionk, and like he couldn't make that pass across, and they replaced they replaced Line A with Shifley in his spot in that right spot, and 
Line A basically could not get the puck as he was stuck in the bumper position, and Winnipeg could not move the puck there at all. But at five on five, it was interesting because I looked at how many goals were coming off the rush, how many goals were coming off the cycle, and how many goals were coming off a four check where there's like a change of possession. And the past couple of years, he's based line A's goals have basically all come off the rush. And if, if you look at the goals, they all look the same. It's like Kyle Connor and Mark Scheifele go have a give and go in the neutral zone. They try to spring line A open. Uh, while he's entering the zone and he's got a one-on-one with the goaltender. But -hmm. if you look at the goals from his first two years, there's a lot of like the, they all look really different. Like they're not carbon copies of each other. Like you'll see goals where you'll see goals where like Paul Stastny or Ehlers are forcing a turnover and they managed to get line a open. They managed to like uh, line a kind of works his way open, like through the defense because like there's a turnover, everybody's kind of scrambling and the big thing I noticed was like having there was a big difference between having Nick Ehlers on his line and having Kyle Connor on his off wing because Ehlers is a guy who like just loves to have the puck on his stick forever. Like he'll just kind of circle the zone for however long he wants to and just kind of wait for somebody to get open. And that really helps somebody like Line A because like he's a guy who like really with his shot in that one time where he can pretty much beat a goalie from almost anywhere and Ehlers kind of had that ability to like locate him. Whereas like Kyle Connor, it's a lot more quick passes and Mark Shifley. Shifley is also a really good passer, a good puck handler, but he plays with a lot more speed. If that makes any sense, like they're both fast players, but Shifley play, plays with so much more pace whereas Ehlers kind of hangs onto the puck more. Mm-hmm. So like he became more, like line a became like all of his goals at least came more quick strike goals more so than like sustained possession goals. Like they were in his first couple of years. So I feel like that's something the jackets could look at. And I don't know if they have the personnel to pull this off. Cause like not every team has a Nick Ehlers. Cause I, I feel like he doesn't get a lot of like, everybody knows he's good, but nobody talks about just how good he is sure. as far as like a puck handler and a passer goes. Cause like having a guy that can do that can just, hang on to the puck forever and not get knocked off of it in the NHL is something that's, it's not easy to do. So I don't know if Winnipeg has the personnel to pull that off. They did just trade up. They did just get Max Domi this year. He's probably the closest thing they have. They have this young guy, Liam Foodie, who might, I don't know if he's going to be Nick Ehlers good, but he looks like a really good player, kind of a similar mold with how he likes to kind of circle the offensive zone until the play gets open. So I'm interested to see if Winnipeg can kind of, I mean, or if, if Columbus can kind of like utilize, see if they can get the most out of line A with the players that they have, because it's, it's interesting. They have a lot of pretty good players a really, they have a lot of pretty good players, but not a lot of top end players like Winnipeg has. So that's going to be interesting to see. Yeah. Ehlers is having a light, a lights out year. I mean, he's got 11 points in seven games so far. So yeah, quite a campaign for him. I mean, I, I want to touch back real fast, Corey. You talked about kind of line A and all the comparisons kind of to Ovechkin when he started, and obviously you weren't tracking back then for Ovechkin. But what what have you seen about Ovechkin and how he scores goals over the time that you've been tracking um, tracking the league? Yeah, he pretty much scores any way he can, really. Like, he'll spearhead the offense on his own a lot. Like, he did that a lot his first, like, really six years in the league. And, like, when that wasn't working anymore, he became, like, a huge... That 
that uh, power play setup that they run became like a real threat forever. That made no sense. But uh, <laughs> but I remember when he first came to the league, he was doing a lot of like goals off the rush where he kind of it's a one man show. Basically, he'll kind of cut to the middle, create space for himself and then boom, it's in the net. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know he had he had kind of a downturn for like two or three years, I think, and became more of like a power play weapon. But I mean, he's very good at getting open now, like. He'll kind of he's very good at like getting lost in the coverage now. And that's what I've kind of noticed, at least with Ovechkin. Like there's not a lot of goals where it's like, oh, wow, look at this. It's a lot of goals. It's like, oh, he's wide open again. And <laughs> it's kind of a gimme. But, yeah, no, he's good at creating his own space. Who on the Capitals has stood out to you? Just kind of I mean, you talked about what a great team they were kind of and how they created offense really in those Barry Trotz years. Who stood out to you? Who was kind of the driver for them? Yeah, probably the the real the most interesting player to break down on that team is Kuznetsov, mm-hmm. just from like a hot, just from like kind of a I don't want to say enigma standpoint, but like <laughs> he is a guy who could kind of he'll get beat up in expected goals and shot differential, but he's kind of a guy who can outscore his problems, or at least he was for like three or four years, because like. It's like he could take a nap for most of the game, but like the three minutes he's awake, he makes three passes that go through like six pairs of skates, and then and he'll have three assists. Like, <laughs> like as somebody that's like like as a Hurricanes fan, I've seen this so many times where it's like we think it's like you think you have his line under control, and then all of a sudden he'll like make one little stutter step in the neutral zone, hit Jacob Rana for a breakaway on a play that looked totally harmless at the at the beginning. Yeah. But he is a guy that was like one of the best players in my tracking as far as passing and zone entries and zone exits for at least three years or so. Like, especially in that year where they won the cup, he was kind of the X factor on that team as far mm-hmm. as like breaking, as far as kind of like breaking into the next level. The last year was not good, especially by his standards. Like it was still above average, like in most of the stats that I track, but last year wasn't very good. So I just wonder what exactly happened there. But that was like the, like I mentioned earlier, they were one of the best teams in the league at creating high danger passing plays. And then cause Nets have had a down season all of a sudden they're in the middle of the pack again. So I'm pretty sure those two things are related. Yeah. With uh, yeah. So one thing that I I think I'm kind of curious about is you've obviously tracked uh you know a decent amount in terms of passing and zone entries. And I think one of the things that as Caps fans were kind of wondering is whether particularly zone entries on the power play, whether those have maybe gotten a little bit stale and teams have kind of started to figure that out. So I guess I'm kind of curious, do you see like uh, zone entry schemes kind of go stale and kind of cycle through the league. And do you think, do you kind of buy a thesis that the caps might have to change theirs up on the power play at least a little bit? Yeah. The power play is a bit of a different animal just because like a team could carry the puck in like say 75% of the time, but if they're not setting up any meaningful offense or chances, then like who cares? Yeah. So that's something I, that's something I want to dive more into this year, kind of making more in-depth a little more in-depth steps on entries on the power play, just because that's such a different animal than even strength. Because you you kind of have to set up a plan in order to enter the zone there. Like a lot of teams like to use the slingshot, 
other teams like to overload one side. Some teams kind of just gung-ho and go gung-ho and just attack the zone without much plan. But, yeah, with the Capitals, like, yeah, with the Capitals, I know that that's another area where Kuznetsov was very good. Johansson was mm-hmm. good. Used to be kind of their guy there that mm-hmm. could get the puck into the zone, get it into the corner, and they can get set up from there. So I thought losing him that one year was kind of a big hit when they when they did uh when they had to kind of trade him to New Jersey. But Kuznetsov, I, Kuznetsov was a guy who could replace him, I thought, but it didn't really, at least not on the power play in terms of entries, when I remember. But yeah, that's something I really want to dive more into this year, just to kind of get more like strategic, just to break down more strategies and stuff, just because that's an area that kind of gets glossed over special teams, especially like with a lot of people, a lot of people that do stats kind of gloss over special teams, just because it's a different animal to track than five on five. Because you're looking for one big play as opposed to just like getting as many shots as you can. Yeah, sure. all, when we're talking about kind of a special teams play, I remember the thought was, you know, uh, it always felt like looking at shot attempts was not necessarily the best way to talk about a power play where you really are looking just for that one big kind of, you know, 70% shot maybe, right? Like you're looking to try to get that Ovechkin wide open one time or on the off wing and. Or, or, so, or something else similar. I mean, a lot of teams are like that. Uh, now right. they're their bread and butter play. Right, yeah, that's what the Jets were trying to do with uh, with Line A forever. But, yeah, I know the Caps are a bit of a... I mean, what makes the Caps like more dangerous than the power play is that Carlson can actually make the pass from the point and still have, like, it's still a dangerous shot. Because when a lot of teams try to go through the point when they're in the 1-3-1 setup, like, there's enough time for the defense to kind of get over and block the shot. But like Carlson, but Carlson was pretty good at setting that up. But like Mike Green was probably the best at doing that still. Yeah. At least uh, among Capitals players. Yeah, Mike Mike Green was just something else in his, in his prime on the power play and even strength. Just a phenomenal player. Yeah. It, so Corey, uh, I I kind of curious. I know that uh, you, you you watch a lot of Carolina hockey, but any other teams kind of stand out to you this year so far, either good or bad? Yeah, so far, uh, I've been tracking a lot of, uh, like, I'm kind of doing, like, one or two teams per division, and I've been tracking a lot of Avalanche games, mm-hmm. and uh, they've actually been not as, like, dominant as I expected. They did crush San Jose last night. That looked a lot more like the team I expected, but, like, they had a back-to-back series in L.A. They did not dominate the Kings like I expected to. Like, L.A. actually gave them a pretty good run. They, uh... Um, I'm doing a, I'm tracking the Flyers because uh, uh, Charlie O'Connor and a few other Flyers writers are patrons to uh, like my uh, Patreon where I uh, track all the stuff. The Which Flyers should have, join, by the way. <laughs> yeah, but I've watched, every, I've tracked every Flyers game this year, and they have been winning despite getting absolutely crushed, like in really every category. And that's going to be interesting to see how it plays out because they did. They started off the year beating Pittsburgh. They dropped a. They they laid a huge egg against against Buffalo. Dropped two games to the Bruins where they just got steamrolled. And they played better against New Jersey last night, but the five on five play is still pretty concerning there because they're just not. 
like they're just like they couldn't like they were not the better team of five and five against the Devils, which is saying something because New Jersey yeah. is not a very good team in my opinion. Yeah, and then I'm I'm kind of curious about one other team in the uh, and and the, there might be a news hook for me talking about this, but I, I I promise I'm not just looking for a way to talk about Tony D'Angelo, but uh, I kind of was curious. Uh, I don't know if you got the chance to look at any Rangers games, but I mean this is a team that I I had as maybe a, a fringe playoff team. I think people had them in that range, and they've been they've taken a huge hit in terms of their. It, it, like you know percent chance to make the playoffs at least according to dom's model and i you know, this is a team that obviously is willingly playing jack johnson decent decent minutes but i kind of curious like what what do you think about what's going on with the uh, kind of the rangers and their and their their mess right now it's uh it's gonna be a tough transition year for them unless just stark and turns into like a 930 goaltender for like the next three games or so in my opinion just because they had Lundqvist kind of covered up so many of their sends for like forever. And I don't, I still don't like their defense that much. Like Truba has not been like a top pair defenseman. Well, he's been in New York, in my opinion, D'Angelo is D'Angelo can create a lot of offense, but he takes dumb penalties, gets walked often. And just seems like he's a total headache to have around. It's like, well, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, I mean, they're pairing him with Jack Johnson too. That's just a, that's a mess. I am interested. I'm interested to see how the, uh, the two kids do there. Capo Caco and, uh, Alexis Lafreniere. Like, well, I, I, I've done a couple of their games. Like they're, when they played the Island, they got just, they got crushed by the Islanders in the first game. I remember that, but Lafreniere had a lot of, he made a lot of really good plays in that game. It looks like he kind of belongs. Like, well, he's the first overall pick. He should belong. But I want to see how he grows. And Kako had a rough rookie season. He played a lot of hockey last year, too. I want to see how he looks with, like, more more rest. And really, I the biggest thing for them is just going to be how much can Panarin kind of cover up all the other problems on that team. Because he had a – like, he was, in my opinion, probably the best player in the league last year. And, like, they were what – they had they needed a extended playoff format to get in, yes. so that I mean it kind of says a lot. But I and like the, Panera wasn't dominant in the couple of Rangers games that I did, but it's a small sample of games. I don't want to think of it, about that too much, but I don't know if they need him to be MVP level to make the playoffs, then that's a that's a problem. I got. Uh, only one last question for me, Corey, because I know we've kind of took a lot of your time already. Um, how has Jacob Rana looked for the Capitals so far this year? He's a guy that Greg got on the podcast time. Um, you know, he, he's a really important piece of the Capitals. How has he kind of looked, not just this year, but how has he developed in terms of the staff that you track over the last kind of four or five years? Yeah, he's been, yeah, he's been probably like, uh, probably my one of my favorite players to watch on the Caps, just because uh, just because in his first year he kind of fit in like a glove there, just with how they wanted to play, and eventually he kind of earned his way up the lineup and just fit in perfectly, especially especially when they had like Burakovsky there. But um, he's like slowly just gotten better each year with like doing all the just doing all the things the Capitals have excelled at, entering the zone with possession, making those high danger passing plays, playing with a lot of sp- 
well, like he plays with a lot of speed, but he's also playing with a lot of control under speed too. It's like there's mm-hmm. fast players who like just will create empty calorie shots and zone entries, but Braun is a guy who like will do a lot more than that. Like he knows how to set up offense and like look for look for where the open player is after gaining the line. So I feel like he's like uh, I don't know. He reminds me a lot of Kuznetsov just without the catastrophic defensive plays and the oh. high wire racks in the defensive zone. But I I think he's been a really good like success story for them, like as far as like player development goes. But that's the, that's the interesting thing like with uh, like there's a lot of really talented talented kids that come to the league every year like and uh, you never know who's really gonna fit in where. But with Washington, they just seem to have an easier time fitting in guys like that. Like Burakovsky, when he, I remember when he came in he, a couple of years, like in two or three years, all of a sudden he's like a zone entry wizard and a guy with like, well, I know, I know he struggled to put up points, but like he was kind of an analytic starling for a while yeah, and a really was. good player, really good player entering the zone, playing with a lot of skill and speed. And Verona kind of fits that same mold. So it's like, the Capitals have always had like an easier time developing those players, at least getting them to the NHL. So that's always been kind of something I've had my eye on because like, if you look at a lot of the charts that uh, CJ Totoro posts, like mm-hmm. he takes a lot of my data and puts them into like percentile form, which shows like how a player ranks compared to the rest of the league. And the Capitals have like, the Capitals always had so many players that were just like, in the 70th, 80th percentile everywhere. Burakovsky was one of them. Verano was another one. Dmitry Orlov was another guy. Hey, Nate Schmidt. there we go. <laughs> Nate Schmidt. But it's like, that's just how they played forever. And it's easier to fit into their system when, like, you're a high-skilled player yeah. who thrives on, like, possession play and doesn't play a lot of dump and chase. So that's always been interesting for me to follow as an outsider. Well, uh, that, that's... That's such a great way to put it. I mean, the Capitals have done. I mean, the, the players that you mentioned are, uh, ironically enough, all the players that Greg and I like the most. So. Yeah, <laughs> for, uh, yeah I'm the uh, for 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 the for those uh, new to the podcast. Uh, I uh, Adam is famous for his uh, love of uh, Andre Burakovsky, and uh, I think Adam, we both like Brana, and mm-hmm. uh, I I am the Dmitry Orlov stan of this podcast. So there, so there you go. Um, yeah. Yeah, like Orlov was, I mean, it was a slow kind of, it was like, it was kind of a slow burn, like to get him up to like, get him like higher in the lineup. But he was like, like he was one of the guys that rated really high in my tracking, like for a while. And there's a lot of players in that have gone through Washington that have had kind of similar stats like that. And Colorado was the same way, which is like, I thought Burakovsky was, that was like a perfect fit there. Yeah. So, but for years they played that like possession style. Like they exit, they don't dump the puck out of the zone. They like making passes out of the zone. They don't like dumping the puck in. They like carrying the puck in and they like making a pass or two before taking a shot on goal. So like any player that had that kind of skill set just fit in there like a glove forever. And even guys who weren't necessarily great players always kind of rated well, like, uh, like Matt Niskanen, he had very good like zone exit stats and, very good zone exit stats and very high shot total numbers when he was in Washington up, up until his last year, like after I think he had a broken hand or something that year. He had a disastrous last year in Washington. Yeah. Yeah. 
but like for years he was very good at doing that and like when he was in pittsburgh i really never thought much of him so it was interesting like he came over with trots and a lot of guys kind of were built up that way yeah yeah all right, well, Corey, this this was a blast. We're gonna have to have you on again, uh, hopefully less than uh, less than two years from now. So we'll uh, we'll try to keep that up. Where can people find uh, find you and find your stuff? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at shutdownline, and uh, I just set up a link tree, so like everything that I do is in like a little compact form now. But um, if you, you can check out my Patreon if you want to support me and what I do, and every once in a while I write something on my Substack. And I'm going to try to update that a little more frequently just so I don't get lost in kind of just so I'm not just to break the monotony of just like charting games every day. I like to I'm going to try to like actually talk about what I see more. So that should be fun. Yeah, I want to make sure. I mean, Corey's Patreon is one of the few that like I, I, I have followed for years and I've never been disappointed. So if, if, if our listeners have any interest in kind of digging into those kind of stats, make sure you go and and just 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 subscribe to his patreon it's it's well worth it yep it has the uh the japers ring patreon endorsement uh in the sense of uh the japers ring patreon is a happy subscriber to cory and his work so definitely <laughs> definitely highly recommend um and uh speaking of things that hopefully you like uh if you like the podcast i'm gonna give myself a c plus for that transition uh if you like the podcast uh please rate right well actually real quick adam where can people find your stuff oh there at on twitter string him a and you can find me at, at uh, Greg Y underscore JR. And if you like the podcast, please rate, write, subscribe, review. Uh, we really appreciate all of the reviews. And uh, yeah, and uh, so stay tuned next week. Uh, I don't know, Adam, if we figured out what we're doing yet, but we'll uh, we'll figure out something exciting. And uh, definitely uh, we'll uh, we'll keep keep everyone up to date with the uh, interesting world of Washington Capitals hockey. And uh, Corey, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it.